Hey, welcome, welcome. Glad y'all are here. Glad to be here. Hey, same. Good. That makes one of you. Great. Cool. Um, sweet Veterans Day tomorrow. That's amazing. Awesome. We're going to continue. What? I mean, it is today, but we observe it. Whatever. You know. You know, whatever. A day is off. A day is off. Okay. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to continue in. It's a cool night tonight. Um, something kind of different. Um, something that you may have done before, but uh, just I'm excited about tonight. And so I'm just going to lift it up, and we're going we're gonna to go. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, the students here, my friends here um, who have come. We're gathered together in your house. Uh, to sing your praises, um, to hear uh, from your word. So Lord, I ask that you would meet us in this place and in this time. God, that you would speak powerfully uh, tonight. Um, Lord, that you would give us focus and understanding. God, that you would uh, give me clarity of thought and of mind and of words. Um, Lord, that you'd be honored and you'd be praised and you'd be pleased by what you see happen here. God, that you bring salvation where salvation is needed, that you bring conviction where conviction is needed. God, that you bring encouragement, you bring hope, and you bring peace. We walk out of here uh, reacting to this world differently uh, than when we came in. We love you and we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> all right, so um, I had an interesting weekend. Interesting weekend. My wife... Went out of town on Thursday uh, for this like women's retreat thing, and and she got back uh, last night. And if you don't know, I have a one year old and a three year old, and so she said, "Caleb, you get to keep the one year old and the three year olds." Um, so have fun with that. That's why I didn't make it to the Oscar Smith game because um, I know I was super sad about it. But I had this one-year-old and this three-year-old, and it was not looking awesome. By the way, if you have a phone and it's like you want to put it on vibrate or silent, mine's like blowing up right now, and so I just um, it just reminded me. Cool. Um, but so I had this one-year-old, this three-year-old. I'm watching them. Everything's going good. I should be getting like dad of the year, uh, and then uh, I I kind of mess up. Okay, so. I think, I'm in my living room, and I think my son, Levi, who's three, and my daughter, Kennedy, who's one, who likes to crawl around, um, I think they go back to my son's room and are, like, kind of playing in the room, and I hear a door shut, and and Kennedy, my daughter, she uh, just likes to shut doors. Like, it's just something she enjoys. The problem is you can only shut them one way, right? If you're a little one-year-old, you can't shut it towards you and be out in the hallway. You've got to be in the room and close it, right? And so she shuts herself in rooms all the time. And so she shut the door, and I was like, man, I should probably go check on that because... I'm a father, and they're in a room with the door shut by themselves, so this is not good. And so I, I am about to make my, I'm like kind of delaying, doing some things in the kitchen, and, and then um, I'm like, I, I, need, I need to do that. But then I hear the sound. It's like, boom, and I was like, hmm, okay, well, that's not good. Uh, and that didn't come from Levi's room. Hmm. So I walk down to the end of the hallway. I look to the right, and my son is playing by himself nicely, and his door is wide open. And I was like, well, 
I thought she shut his door because she was in there, but she didn't. And I looked to the left, and my door is shut. And I was like, man, she climbed into my room. So I opened the door. By the way, I have a master bathroom in my room. And my daughter, weird as she is, she kind of likes to play with toilet water. So that's a weird thing, right? And so I was like, oh, snap, did I put the seat down? I, I know, TMI. I walk into the room. I hear her in the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, no. I walk into the bathroom, and the sound I heard was my toilet seat. My one-year-old ripped my toilet seat off of the toilet. Like, I should have taken a picture. I was just, like, kind of impressed. Like, dang, girl, you just ripped a toilet seat off of a toilet. You're one. Like, what are you going to do when you're two? You're going to be big, right? Like, dang. Like, she's as big as most of the middle schoolers, so I give her that. But, but kind of crazy, kind of crazy. And then as the weekend went on, I found myself, you know, obviously having to, like, do a little bit of discipline and, and teaching of my kids. And, and what I realized as, as I kind of got more tired because my wife wasn't there, I was by myself, that I began to sound a lot like my dad as I'm talking to my kids about the things they can't and can't do. Here's a little um, secret for you, which you need to understand just quickly, is that you will sound like your parents also. Um, Just anyone in here, you like things your parents say, you're like, I'm never saying that to anybody ever like that. Never do anybody. Hands up. Don't be ashamed. I'm not telling your parents. Okay. Yeah, right. You're like, never. But just what you need to understand is you will find yourself in a place where you will sound like your parents. And what I realized is that everything that I had experienced as a kid was now coming out and changing the way I was reacting to this situation. That I was, in fact, a product of my environment. And I am now creating an environment. I'm going somewhere with this. An environment for my kids that they will then be a product of as they grow older. That what I'm doing now is going to affect everything that they do later. In fact, we are all, what you understand, is we are all products of our environment. If you don't know what that means, I'm going to just break it down for you real quick. That means that every relationship you've ever had, every person you've ever met, every good experience, joyous experience, maybe great birthday parties growing up, um, every bad experience, maybe you suffer some kind of uh, verbal abuse or some kind of hard heartbreak in your life, every experience you you take and you remember it and then you react to situations based on what you remember. That you become a product of your environment. And here's what I'm going to boil it down to. What we remember about our past experiences What we remember about our past experiences affects how we react to current situations. You need to hear that. You need to hold on to that. You need to understand that. It helps you understand other people as well. That when you're like at a place and you're like, why is that dude freaking out? And why is he so angry? Why? He shouldn't be angry. Why is he freaking out? Because you don't know what past experiences he has had and he's remembering and he's coped with that is, that is affecting how he's handling the current situation. 
You don't don't know that. But what the truth is, is that he's a product of the environment he he grew up in, same as you, that we are all products of this environment that we grow up in. That the things we remember about the past and past experiences will affect how you handle your current situations. Some of you, you, you get judged. Some of you, uh, you're kind of mean to other people. Some of you like, and it's your insecurity because you remember being, someone being mean to you and this is how you defend yourself. Like it's these past experiences that you remember. And you don't hear this, that affect how you handle your current situations. And we've been in, in Exodus, and what Exodus is, is it's this group of people that God said, hey, you are, are in fact my people, and I love you, and I'm going to show the rest of the world who I am through you. And they, they were uh, developed, and, and they were his people, and then they moved to Egypt, and Egypt got a new king, and they enslaved God's people. And so then God went through Moses to the king of Egypt and said, yo... I'm calling you to let my people go. And Pharaoh, if you know the story, if you've been here the last few weeks, says no. Like, not about it, not about it, not about it, not about it. And over and over again, and God continues to do things, we call them plagues, where he like turned the river where they got the water into blood. He sent flies, he sent frogs, he sent locusts that ate all of the plants, he sent droughts, he sent darkness. Like, he sent all of these things. To where they, where all their other gods they were worshiping should have provided, God said, no, no, what you understand is those gods are not real, they're illegitimate, and I am real. Will you let my people go? And the king still says, no. And then what, if you were here two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever we met last, we talked about Exodus 12. Exodus 12, which is like the most brutal, one of the most brutal things in the Bible where God says, here it is, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, it says he hardened his heart. And God said, I'm going to show you that in fact I am over all life. And so he sent the plague of the firstborn son where he told Israel to slaughter his people, to slaughter a lamb and to use that blood and dip a hyssop branch over their doorpost, and then the angel of death flew through, and the, those that had blood over their doorpost lived. But those that didn't lost a firstborn son, lost firstborn animals, lost firstborn. There was not a house, that says in Egypt, that did not have someone dead inside of it. What? Brutal. Brutal. And so he tells them, though, he says, this night to the Israelites, will be something you will remember forever. And this is how he recaps it. <clears throat> this is 12, 12 through 15. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and strike, in the night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are saying will be a distinguishing mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you. 
He says, you are to see it, you are to mark this day, you are to understand and remember this day. And you must celebrate it as a festival. They go on to call the festival the Passover. It's the Passover feast, the Passover festival, it's the Passover. You're to celebrate, call it, you're to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You're to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue, never to forget it, always to remember it. We're going to go back to that. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days, and on the first day, you must remove the yeast from your house. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. They call this thing a Seder dinner, and and, uh, around Easter time, I think we're going to try to do that in here at one of the harbor nights, just so you can experience it and like see what it is. It's a pretty cool thing where you'll be around a table with your friends and be able to kind of walk through this. But it's this interesting thing that, that the Lord would put such a huge emphasis huge I can't think of Donald Trump and not think of Donald Trump and say huge. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he should not be involved in this. Uh, was interested, uh, it, was, it was interesting why the Lord would put such, such a big emphasis on people remembering. On people remembering what had happened. On people remembering what he did in this time. But I want you to think about it. Like, like if Veterans Day... Like if, if we never went to war again, so we are in peace forever, and all the veterans grew old, and all the ones that had fought for us, they grew up and they, and they died of old age, and, and they were gone. And so not anyone on the earth was a veteran of a war ever, that the wars were now over, that we lived in peace, this may be 100 years or, or 400 years from now, whatever it is, man, we live in peace, there are no more veterans. Would we still celebrate Veterans Day? The answer would be no. We wouldn't. It would be in our history book about when we celebrated the veterans who fought in those things that we remember as wars or that we've been taught about as wars. But there would never be a Veterans Day anymore because there would be no one to celebrate. It would just be a memory of what we did. Yet God says, hey, you Israelites, even when you're out of, even when you're out of slavery, even for those that never stepped foot into Egypt, even for those that never ever experienced what you have experienced, they need to know about this. They need to know about what I've done. They need to remember. See, Exodus wasn't the end of the story. It didn't stop here. In fact, there's like 48 more chapters or or 38 more chapters that go on in Exodus. And then it continues, the Bible continues on the story that it wasn't the end. I think he was telling his people, I want you to remember what, what I've done. I want your people to remember because I have something bigger planned. And when the bigger thing happens, I need you to react in the right way. That you would remember the past and you would react the right way in the current situation. You would remember, and then you would react. And that when my plan came, known as Jesus, you would be able to look back on what you remember and see that, in fact, I had a plan the whole time. 
What's amazing about God's word is it's not thoughtless and it's not random and it's not like, oh, this part's here and then this part's there. No, it all fits together that in Exodus 12, in fact, God wasn't making this random uh, plague happen, but instead he was saying, let me prepare you for something greater and let me paint the picture of what it will look like when Jesus comes. Here it is, for example. In Exodus 12, 5, he says, you are to take an unblemished blood, unblemished blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your life. There's unblemished blood of a lamb that was shed. And in Hebrews 9, 11 through 22, it talks about the unblemished blood of Christ that saves us, that nothing else but the lamb of God that died for us, which now saves us. And in Exodus 12, 8, he says, we are to eat the flesh of the lamb. You are to kill the lamb and then not only dip the blood and put it over but then you're to eat the lamb to devour the lamb in john 6 a weird a weird conversation jesus has he says hey people that are following me for no reason you're to eat my flesh and drink my blood and people john 6 66 says people turned away from jesus in response that they're like ew like yucky <laughs> that guy's weird uh, but what he was saying was I'm not calling you to be a cannibal what I'm calling you to be is someone who trusts me and devours my truth in such a way that it becomes a part of you in Exodus 12 12 through 13 it says that the blood of the lamb made the people safe and in Hebrews 10, 22 through 24, it says that the blood of Christ was sprinkled over the life of man so that they would be saved from judgment. Exodus 12, 22, a little further in Exodus 12, it says that they used that hyssop branch I just talked about to, to spread the blood over the doorpost. I don't know how many times the word hyssop is used in the Bible. It may only be used twice because the only other time I know of that it was used in the Bible was when a guy took a hyssop branch, dipped it in sour wine, and tried to give it to Jesus to drink while he's on the cross. And he's painting this picture. In Exodus 12, 23, the very next verse, it said that God looked at the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and he chose, this is so cool, he chose to bruise the lamb and not its people. In Isaiah 53.10, it says that it pleased the father, it pleased the father to crush the son and not us. That Jesus said, that God said, here's my people and here's my son, Jesus. And it, I find pleasure, it breaks my heart, but the reward, I find pleasure in sacrificing my son so that people may live. The lamb was a picture of Jesus. In John 13, it says that Jesus is the lamb of his father's house. In Luke 23, 45, it says that when Jesus was on the cross and he died, that in that moment, darkness came over the earth and that the curtain that separated man from the holy God that only sacrifices went through was torn, that there was now no separation, that sin no longer stood in the way because it had all been paid for. Jesus was the lamb that died for our eternity. 
and died for our guilt and for our shame. And I think he says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to remember how I work. I want you to remember so that when the Messiah comes, when the Lamb of God comes, that you would react the right way, that you would remember, and then you would react. That it wouldn't be a wrong reaction, but it would be the right reaction. You pick up in the New Testament in Luke 22, and you see Jesus eating with his disciples, and they were celebrating the Passover meal. Meal. I don't know how people say it. They were celebrating the Passover supper. This is how it records in 1 Corinthians. Paul records this, this time. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he, being Jesus, was betrayed. He says, man, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and went to the cross, I'm going to record for you. I'm going to write for you. I'm going to tell you exactly what went down because what went down is worthy, noteworthy, is memory worthy of holding on to. Like you should understand it. You should hear it. You should know it. And he says, I'm going to pass this knowledge on to you. If you go to Luke 22, you see that, that it was a Passover time. What you need to understand about a day then was it wasn't like at midnight the next day started and it went to the next midnight. No, it was at nighttime when the sun went down, it got dark. Then the next day started throughout the night, through the day, and to the next darkness. That's when the day ended and the next day started. And so right now we would not be living in Sunday. We'd be living in Monday and we'd be Monday until it got dark tomorrow night. And then it would be Tuesday. And so their days were a little different. And so it says on the night that he would be crucified was the same night that the lamb for the Passover year after year after year is to be slaughtered. That the timing was not coincidental. That the timing was perfect. That Jesus would be the lamb, the last lamb that ever needed to be slain. He says, so I'm going to pass on to you what happened on that night. He says, the Lord Jesus, he's sitting around with his disciples and they have a meal there and they've got bread and, and juice and wine and whatnot. And they don't have juice. It was wine. Just know that. It was wine. It wasn't the same like alcohol content. They had alcohol in it, but it was, it was wine. Don't let anybody tell you something different. Does that mean you should go drink wine? No. So, boom, clear that out. Don't tell your parents. Caleb said, Jesus drank wine, so why can't I, right? Like, I will slap you. So the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, it's interesting, Jesus like bowed his head and he said, hey, God, thank you for this bread. I am God, but also God, thank you for this bread. Set the example. He had given thanks, it says that he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he broke the bread and he, and he handed it around and they broke it and broke it. And then they ate it. 
He says, eat this in remembrance of me, that this is, this is in memory of my body that was broken for you, that it pleased God to crush the lamb and not you. He says, so do it, remembering what I've done for you. And then he goes on. And he goes on and he says, and in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant, not the old covenant, not a renewed covenant. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, man, this is the new covenant, the blood that was shed to make you clean. That my body was broken for your sin, that I paid the price, and then my blood was shed so that the wrath of God no longer pours out over you. But instead, you are protected by the blood of the Lamb. He says, for as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, remember, 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 remember. When you do it, you proclaim me. He says, remember, and then react. Remember, and then react. That when you do that, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember, and then react. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-34. He says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup, and he talks about the self-examination. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. You say, man, it's like blasphemy. It's like, yeah, like not really. I'm just doing it. I'm not, I don't really care. He says, no, no, this is a serious thing. He says, we'll be guilty of sin against the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many, apparently many were sick at this time. He says, this is why many are sick and ill among you and may have fallen asleep. That they were making a mockery of God. And what you need to understand about our God is you don't make a mockery of our God without God. God saying, yo, I'm going to set it right. 